In part three of our series on the West Memphis Three, we take a look at the trials of Jesse Miss Kelly, Jason Baldwin, and Damian Eccles. We'll discuss the evidence the prosecution presented, the obvious bias of the presiding judge, and the struggles the public defenders faced in trying to prove the men's innocence. I'm Spider. I'm Lucifer. And I'm Snake. If you thought last week was a miscarriage of justice, stick around. Tonight's episode is a late-term abortion. This is Necronomapod. I hope y'all really believe in your master, the Satan, sleuth foot, devil himself, because he's not going to help you. He's going to laugh at you, mock at you, and torture you. He didn't need your help. The devil's got all the devils he needs. Good Lord said Lucifer and a third of the angels were cast from heaven. He didn't need them, but he took their mind and he manipulated them. And they prayed to Satan and they prayed to the devil. And they had their satanic worship services out here. Crazy things. To me, this place as I stand is like hell on earth because I know that three babies were killed right out here where I stand. So as we record this, uh, just yesterday was the inauguration of Joe Biden, and I've been seeing a bunch of articles today about how he's choosing to decorate the Oval Office, the various portraits and busts and whatnot that he has in there. So it got me thinking, if you guys were elected president, what portraits, what four portraits would you have up in the Oval Office? Hmm. Joe has access to everything in the Smithsonian, correct? He can pull whatever he wants. I would imagine he'd have a a large selection. Hmm. How many did he have? Was he limiting it to I saw that he... I saw Ben Franklin. He had Ben Franklin. He had um, FDR. He had George Washington, Alexander Hamilton, Thomas Jefferson, Abe Lincoln. Then he had busts of Bobby Kennedy and Martin Luther King and Cesar Chavez. Hmm. It's a good lineup. Yeah. It's like an all-star lineup right there. Let me just clarify. I was not suggesting that Ben Franklin was a president. No, I'm, he, right. he didn't have to be. <laughs> they don't have to be presidential portraits. Well, I asked that, but then I already knew the answer. So right. I kind of, you know. Well, and you got Hamilton on there, too. Correct. I, I mean, I can go first if you guys want to think. I've had all day to ponder this. Go for it. So mine's kind of a, you know, boring list. Not going to be okay. as crazy as anybody else. But my four portraits I'm going to have. President-wise, I'm going to have James Garfield. Local hero. You love that guy. I love him. Probably my favorite president. You love going out to his cemetery. It is one of my favorite. If I had to tell people places to go in Cleveland, that would be in my top three, as well as Great Lakes Brewery. And I have to think about the third one. It is pretty cool out there. Lakeview Cemetery is fantastic. It's where President Garfield's uh, buried. He was only president, you know, short term, less than a year. Um, But very interesting. He's the next presidential biography I'm diving into. I can't wait. But yes, James Garfield. Hometown hero. Hometown hero. Uh, I would also do Teddy Roosevelt, another president I am very fascinated hmm, by. Okay. Um, pretty damn good president. I would also then do Robert Kennedy, well-established. I'm a big fan of uh, Bobby. It's a good one. And then my last one, I think I would go with John Lewis. Big fan of John Lewis. It's a real good one. Recently uh, deceased. Hmm. So that's my four. Okay. I'm going to go with the Pope, Mother Teresa. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Come on. <laughs> Save that for Bible babble. (laughs) That's right. First, I will start with my uncle, Ulysses S. Grant, a highly underrated president from uh, a while back. Yeah. Can trace my lineage back to him at some point. You look like him, too. Way back. With that beard, yeah. Future Halloween costume for you. (laughs) 
Next, I will go with FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt. Excellent president. Really? In good my president. opinion. Yep. Next, I will go with Alexander Hamilton because I assume my wife will be in there sometimes and she loves Hamilton, <laughs> so I'm sure she'd appreciate the Hamilton portrait. And by that, you mean the musical? Correct. Yeah. I don't know if she's going to read that book. It's a long <laughs> book, man. I think she started it. How many pages is that? About 700? 700, I want to say. Yeah. Oh, come on. I just tackled the 690 page yeah, uh, Jimmy Carter one. Knock it right out. Yeah. In a weekend. And uh, I'm going to go with uh, Martin Luther King Jr. for my number four pick. There you go. Good lineup. That will be my office. Those four. All right. Now I'm excited. I'm excited for this one now. Ian, what are yours? <laughs> I'm sitting here listening to you guys make all these like really educated guesses and stuff because my shit's about to be real dumb. It's like I have two picks of Kanye, like one in his earlier years and then a more recent one. And then a pick, a pick, a photo I took of my favorite Yeezys framed up on the other wall. And then a Wendy's triple. Dave Thomas. <laughs> Founder of Wendy's. <laughs> We just we just oh, designed yeah. his office for him. <laughs> it's my my real office isn't much better than that. <laughs> uh, so yeah, first would be a picture of Kanye West. Okay. Then I would have a picture of Art Bell. Oh, that's, that's a good one. That's yeah. a real good one. Then I would throw up a pitch a picture of Mr. Muggs. <laughs> Specifically, the one with him with that hose hanging out in his cage, like playing with that hose. He loves it. He's so happy. Um, Let's not forget, there's going to be like world dignitaries coming in this office. <laughs> there's fucking Art Bell looking at them. <laughs> I imagine Kanye would be your secretary of state or something. So, you know, that wouldn't be that uncommon to have a cabinet member's picture up, I guess. Yeah, I'd probably make him my vice president. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus, help us. <laughs> Could you imagine that setup? For no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and then I would throw a portrait of Doja Cat up there just so I had something to look at. Oh, now you're <laughs> talking. I like that one. Well, you wouldn't have her on your cabinet just to have her around as well? Yeah, but then I, I just still have a picture of her, though. Okay. Secretary of <laughs> Education or, I don't know, something. Then you just have her meetings with her every day. And meanwhile, you got like a poster of her up on your wall while she's in there meeting with you. Mm, yeah. I like that one. Now Dave's rethinking his list. I might have to pull Uncle Ulysses and throw a <laughs> Megan Thee Stallion picture up there. <laughs> oh, boy. She'd be the secretary of hot girl shit. <laughs> secretary of WAP. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, all right. Well, that was enough fun. We got a lot to tackle into tonight with uh, part three, which uh, I think we decided this is going to end up being a four-parter. Spoiler alert. That's weird. Dave's, Dave's been calling guessed? that from the beginning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we got a lot to get through this week, and then we'll finish it all up next week. But I think we got the uh, the trials to get into this week. So take it away, Ian. So last week, I was pretty sick, and I kind of struggled through getting outline done, getting outlines done. Why didn't you step in there and help, Mike? We offer to help all <laughs> the time. We offer to help all the time. The guy says no. <laughs> he says our outlines suck. He can only do them his way. It's the right way. <laughs> but if you guys, I mean, Patreon people know because we did that basically half done outline that I didn't didn't even send you guys, and it, it was way off the rails. We killed it too. It was an awesome show. Yeah. I mean, I, I think we talked about the topic for about fifteen minutes, and then we had about twenty minutes of sports talk with Mike, Dave, and Ian. Sure. We did talk a lot of football. Yeah. Um, but there's a few things that I miss with Jesse Miss Kelly's confession that I want to circle back around to before we move forward with the story. 
So we talked about pressure being on the police, specifically Gary Gitchell, because when Jesse was interviewed, it was June 5th, which was exactly one month since the boys disappeared. And in all reality, they were no closer to solving the case than they were that first day. Last week when we talked about Jesse's confession, we said that he initially said that he met up with Damien and Jason at 9 a.m. on May 5th, and the boys were murdered shortly after, which we know is impossible because the boys were last seen around 6 or 6.30 p.m. that night. We also said that police walked him through the time until Jesse said what fit their timeline. What ended up happening was Jesse would give eight different times in that confession until he got to the time that Gitchell wanted. Once Jesse said 5 p.m., one of the investigators said, earlier, you told me it was more like 7 or 8 p.m., to which Jesse said, yeah, it was 7 or 8 p.m. He doesn't definitively say 7 or 8. He just agrees with investigators. This is a major issue because nowhere earlier in this taped recording did Jesse say 7 or 8 p.m. So it clearly shows that the 10 hours or so of unrecorded coaching wasn't working, and he was just still agreeing to whatever the investigator said. Clearly. It's like Mike's mind tricks in college. <laughs> oh, yeah. He used to use on the ladies. Usually about 10 hours of coaxing. It's about right. <laughs> <laughs> and then they'd just be like, whatever. Let's so say what you want me to say. Let's go. <laughs> One thing that stands out the most in Jesse's confession was that he would tell part of the story then say, that's when I left. Then when that wasn't good enough for investigators because they needed more of a complete story, Jesse would tell a little more and then stop and say, that's when I left. And, and it went on until it got to where Jesse said he grabbed Michael Moore and brought him back to the scene. And we're talking more like multiple, multiple times he kept stopping. Like, okay, that's when I left. Like that was the end of my involvement. And they're like, nah, you... You got to keep going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you got to make up more for us here, bud. This isn't helping us. <laughs> Crazy. He's like, all right, if I just say this, they'll let me go home. Right. Okay, if I just say a little bit more, then they'll let me go home. When investigators asked Jesse if there had been any sexual assaults, Jesse said Damien and Jason started, quote, screwing them and stuff, meaning the boys. They asked him if there was any oral sex going on, and Jesse said, yeah, Damien and Jason were holding the boys by their ears when they did it. The boys had injuries to their ears, so investigators rolled with it, and we'll get into those injuries probably uh, in part four. Let's go to the expert. Mike, can you hurt a person's ears by holding them like that? I Be believe you can. Okay. So he used to call you the Gagmeister General in college, I, I believe. So <laughs> I wasn't a fan of the ears. I can't get a good grip. Okay. Okay. I don't be touching all the nasty cartilage. Yeah. <laughs> Just cartilage. Put those in pigtails and let's go. So the problem with this part of the confession are two things. Sodomizing the boys in the position they were tied in is almost impossible. Second, uh, you know, we talked about the unfortunate thing when, you know, when bodies are left out in the wilderness for a time. Another unfortunate thing with death is a lot of times when you die, your bowels release, and this can leave dilation to your anus. That is what they had in the autopsy reports, was dilation. That's what was listed. There was no clear-cut evidence that the boys had been sexually assaulted. Mm, they were fishing But we're going to see mm. the prosecution rolls with that, regardless if there was evidence or not. Because why not, right? The more, the better. They've never let facts get in the way of right. their, their uh, prosecution before, so. Another thing they asked Jesse was who had a knife, and Jesse said Damien was the one with the knife. They asked him what kind of knife, and he said it was a six-inch lock blade knife. They asked him what kind of blade it was, and Jesse said it was a regular blade. 
Me personally, when I think of a regular blade, I just think of a smooth knife blade, like a standard knife pocket, yeah. pocket knife or something. Some folks call it a regular blade. I call it a Kaiser blade. Guessing mm. <laughs> that's a movie reference that I don't get. The sling blade? I assumed you didn't. I wasn't even bothering to ask if you'd seen <laughs> sling blade because I knew you had. I'd never even heard of it. Mm-hmm. This is really good. It's Kevin Costner in it. It's uh, Billy Bob Thornton. Mm-hmm. Okay. Billy mm-hmm. Bob's all right. He's real good. Who knows what Jesse meant by a regular blade, but if that's what he meant, if he meant that it was a smooth blade, it's a problem because the medical examiner said the castration would have been done by a serrated knife. Uh-oh. Yuck. Jesse also pointed out the picture of Christopher Byers and said he was kicking when he was thrown in the water. Because this whole time, Jesse is telling the story from the aspect that their hands were tied behind their backs, not the modified hog tie that they were actually found in. Aside from it not being possible to kick, if you're tied like that, we know this is inaccurate from the autopsy report because Christopher Byers was dead before he entered the water. There was no water in Christopher's lungs, but there was water in Michael Moore's and Stevie Branch's lungs. It just doesn't fit. None of this fits in any way that's plausible. Well, the cops just make him talk until he says something that fits. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> my new character, Billy Bob. <laughs> just, just that one line That's from it. that one movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Following the confession, Jesse was charged with one count of first-degree murder and two counts of second-degree murder. And we'd said last week, you know, armed with Jesse's confession, police got an arrest warrant for Damien and Jason that same night, and they were both arrested on capital murder charges. The next day, Jesse's confession magically leaked to the press, and everyone in West Memphis heard about how Damien and Jason had raped and murdered the three boys. The local newspapers started running with stories, quoting people who were just saying ridiculous rumors about Damien, about how his house was haunted and he drank people's blood. They also quoted a pastor who said that he had never tried to get someone to convert to Christianity like he'd tried to get Damien to. And Damien told him that he had a pact with the devil and couldn't accept Jesus. Yeah. Hey, Pastor, how about you fuck right off? <laughs> of the of the rumors about Damien, I could see that being accurate. I was just gonna uh, say I don't doubt that Damien probably <laughs> said that to somebody. That's exactly what I would say if the pastor kept coming back and bothering me at my house. Jackass. Yeah, I could definitely see Damien being a smart ass and saying something like that. But they also said like the pastor well, one of the pastors down there was also quoted as saying like you know, Damien had written 666 on the side of his shoes and stuff. Like, all that really dumb shit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so stupid, 666. On June 7th, 1993, the three were appointed their public defenders. Damien got Val Price and Scott Davison. Jason got Paul Ford and Robin Wadley. And Jesse got Dan Stidham and Greg Crow. Public defenders have it hard enough as it is with the amount of cases that are thrown on them. Oh, for sure. And and especially in this scenario, uh, I mean, this is a major case with, you know, national publicity. So I don't really judge the fact that the lawyers didn't stick by their sides after the trial. But it is worth noting that Dan Stidham never gave up on Jesse. He stuck by Jesse and helping him even after he became a judge later in life. I think it's in the second paradise lost where he's quoted as saying that this whole case made him question even to continue being a lawyer but he decided the right thing to do would be to stick by jesse and try to get some justice he seemed like a good dude 
Dan Stedham went into this case assuming that Jesse was guilty and that all he was going to be doing was working out a plea deal. But then he asked Jesse to go over the confession and he quickly realized Jesse was saying all kinds of stuff wrong and something different every time he was asked to retell the story. Stidham also quickly found out that Jesse didn't know what a lawyer was. At first, Stidham couldn't figure out why Jesse would tell his parents and family that he was innocent, but then change his story to guilt when talking to Stidham. Here, Jesse thought Stidham was another detective. He didn't know that Stidham was on his side. He had no idea what an actual lawyer was, so he thought that he needed to keep giving information about the murders. Wow, is that crazy or what? Mm. That should be the first sign that a trial doesn't need to happen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, perhaps a, a competency evaluation would have been beneficial. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Perhaps. But no, as we'll learn, this courtroom doesn't believe in that. Further showing that Jesse had no idea what was going on. One day when Stidham went to visit him, Jesse randomly asked what satin was because a pastor stopped by to tell him the dangers about it. Jesse didn't even know who Satan was and couldn't even say it or read the name right. But now he's being charged with satanic murders and being involved Mm -hmm. in a satanic cult. Because we said what? He was like a third grader, right? Right. Yeah. Had like the IQ or functionality of a third grader. I mean, you read, you watch the first Paradise Lost. Yeah. Dave. I mean, he's reading that card that his mom sent him and he's having a hard time reading it. And it's like, it's a children's card. Yeah, exactly. He had no idea what was going on. No, not at all. He didn't know who was who as far as law enforcement and lawyers were concerned. Yeah, you're throwing this guy on trial for murder, and and he doesn't know what a lawyer is. Yeah, at all. He just wanted to go home and he was dead. Yeah. At the same time, Damien was still doing all of his smart-ass stuff. He told the police he would tell them everything, but the only way he would do it is if his mother was present. So the police set up all kinds of video equipment to record it, and I mean, like tons of police and prosecutors all gathered there ready for this confession. And when his mother said, you know, OK, tell me what happened. Damon said, I don't know. I didn't do it. <laughs> and just straight up fucking wasted everybody's time. This one of all the stupid shit that Damien does. This one I I popped for a little bit. This one was funny. I popped for. This was a good one. <laughs> I mean, you're on, you're you're mad. you're being investigated for murder. <laughs> I would go ahead and take this seriously at some point, Pally. Um, but this this one's kind of funny. Yeah, I think that's yeah, one I of mean, the biggest takeaways of, of the documentary is that he absolutely didn't take this seriously. Oh, I have all. thoughts thought about was, this later on. He thought it yeah. was all nonsense. Like I didn't have anything to do with this. It's not going to convict me. So he's yeah. When we reading this outline, I started getting really pissed at Damien later on. Yeah, he didn't do himself any favors. For no. Sure. Well, and but he's I'll, also a since dumb we're talking kid, about you know? it, like it just bothers me. Like motherfucker, you're on trial for murder. Now it's not just you. There's two other guys involved here, and mm-hmm. you're hurting them as well. Sure. If you want to ruin your own fucking life, go ahead. But you know when you got Jason and uh, well, I guess Jason was the only one on trial with him. Like, yeah. come on, smarten the fuck up, dude. Yeah. yeah, he says a lot of stuff in the uh, in the first Paradise Lost that it's like, dude, you gotta shut yeah, up. Shut up. He's just that guy. You know that guy. He's that guy. Yeah. He won't shut up. And especially the very end when he makes that quote about being the boogeyman of West Memphis. Yep. As soon as he said that, I specifically, I turned to Angie and I said, man, he, he just needs to shut the fuck up and like, like, what the fuck is he thinking? Like lawyers need to tell him to shut up. Well, that's the other thing. Like these lawyers got to get on him. Like, man, come on. Not that it would have worked. I mean, he's going to, they probably did tell him and I'm sure they didn't give a shit. Yeah. 
Well, I guess you got to remember you're playing, maybe playing up for the cameras too, because they're the documentary crew's all there too. Well, that's yeah. part of it, maybe. There's a difference when he's on the stand and when he's talking to the cameras. Mm-hmm. Right. When he's on the stand, he seems very nervous and he's giving normal answers and stuff. Right. I agree. When with he's that. in front yeah. of the camera. He's smoking cigarettes and saying smartass shit. Yeah. So the trials were set to be overseen by Judge David Burnett, and Jesse's would be first. Judge Burnett threw a wrench in Jesse's trial right off the bat because, according to him, psychiatrists and psychologists didn't belong in the courtroom. So the jury wouldn't be able to hear any testimony from doctors regarding Jesse's mental capabilities. I will not allow expert uh, testimony in my courtroom. (laughs) We'll have none of it. (laughs) I mean, Dan Stedham threw in there like that Jesse had a low IQ. You know, he would he would bring that up when questioning things. But they weren't allowed to have any actual doctors in there to testify mm. to Jesse's mental capabilities. The judge is like, boy, you're in Arkansas. Everybody got a low IQ here. What's she talking about? <laughs> it's true. Maybe the, like the psychiatrist just got their degrees from the local gas station. <laughs> a psychiatrist? What? Did you just make that word up, boy? <laughs> Sounds about right. In contrast, Judge Burnett said that the prosecution presenting the relevance that the murders were committed during a full moon was something that the jury needed to hear. A full moon? (laughs) Obviously showing that the judge was fully on board with the whole satanic agenda before these trials even started. I mean, when does the astrology expert get here to read their horoscopes on the day of the murder? Your psychiatric expertise? (laughs) Fuck out of here. Full moon? Do tell. Exactly. What? 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 Jesse's trial started it in January of 1994, and Dan Stedham had lost the largest battle of the trial right away. He tried very hard to get Jesse's confession not to be heard by the jury because that was the only evidence that the prosecution had against Jesse. The prosecution didn't have a motive for why Jesse would be part of these crimes because Jesse never gave a motive in his confession. Yeah, I wonder why. So to show that, prosecutor John Fogelman brought in Vicki Hutchinson. Vicky testified to that whole story we went over last week where she said that Damien had picked her up to go to the S-spot out in some random field and Jesse was in the car with him. Ah, uh, right. The one that set them all up. Mm-hmm. And Snake and Lucifer and Spider were right. there. <laughs> right. <laughs> the only forensic evidence the prosecution had in all reality had nothing to do with Jesse at all. Red and green fibers were found at the crime scene on some of the victim's clothes. These fibers were linked to a green woman's blouse from Damien's home, and the red ones were linked to a red woman's robe at Jason's. These fibers weren't exact matches either. They were just similar. It wasn't like, um, I don't know, the Atlanta child murders, we talked about this kind of stuff, where Wayne Williams, there was a specific carpet in his house that there weren't that many rolls of that carpet made and sent out and it was very specific like it only came from that yeah yeah right wasn't were just uh, similar it it was in john benet didn't they find fibers that matched something that mom owned on her there were but that was the next day when they brought her body up and like laid it in front of the tree and then covered it with a blanket that was in the living room wasn't it something like that there was part of that expert police work (laughs) It, it was beaver hairs and 
Oh, that's what it was. The mom had a beaver fur coat, but she wasn't allowed. They, it never was tested. That's okay. That's what it was. Something. Yeah. But there also was a blanket that they threw on her that was like from the living room. You know, when they moved oh, yeah. her body, oh, yeah, picked yeah. it up, put it in another room available in yeah, the like archives. The second or third time they moved the body. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, let's put her here. Let's put her here. Meanwhile, that fucking family help group's bringing over coffee and donuts. Right. And no one's checking who's entering and exiting. I would also just like to state emphatically that I do not allow beaver hairs in my house. <laughs> Any and all kinds. Any and all kinds. It's forbidden. Yeah. It's a prohibited item in my in my uh, residence. Right. In Dave's garage, there's a coat hanger <laughs> and some trimmers. <laughs> Either way, you're covered. <laughs> Clean it up. Take it off. <laughs> These fibers, the type of fibers that were found... Um, were also found at, on a lot of clothing that was sold by Walmart. So being a small town and assuming that most people got clothing from here, at least one or two pieces of clothing, these fibers could have literally came from anyone. How, how is that even admissible? That's not evidence. That's doesn't. That's nothing. It, it's that's not what you're going to question line. about all this, Dave? <laughs> that's the one that throws it over the, the edge? <laughs> it, it's just it's not a specific link. At all. This is the thing, too, is it was never checked out as to if any of the boys, it, you know, were in the homes that they lived in, if any fibers would have matched this. So who's to say that Michael Moore's mother didn't have the same red robe that Jason's mom had? Yeah, sure. Or one of the kids themselves had a jacket that they took off. Right. Or, who knows? Right. These are these are really generic fibers on clothing sold by Walmart. Yeah. We buy our wedding dresses at Walmart down here. Everybody go up there. We're from uh, Arkansas. It's where Walmart started. Or is it Bentonville? Bentonville, Arkansas, right? Is that the home of Walmart? Is that where it is? Yeah. Makes sense. My guess would have been there or Kentucky. (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, no offense, Arkansas. I'm just saying. Right. And I would have said Mississippi, but there's no businesses there. No one's (laughs) smart enough to be able to start a business in Mississippi. (laughs) Jesus Jesus Christ. (laughs) I can say that I'm a NASCAR fan. There's no NASCAR tracks currently in Mississippi, but you get the point. Why is that? I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure they have tracks, just nothing that's on NASCAR. They got Talladega State away. They just go over there. It's a big-ass party. Good enough. We're going to go there one day. I know you want to go, the infield of Talladega. I would love to. For a party. That is it would be a cultural experience. I've been to Alabama. I have as well. Interesting place. But then I feel like Talladega... More specifically, the infield of the racetrack is its own other level of something. Yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, we'll have to do that one day. Rent an RV or a camper or something. I can blend in with this beard. I can do it. Okay. I can look the part. You speak full sentences. You would have to really... (laughs) You would have to get shit-faced so that you can just speak poorly, and then they'd be like, oh, okay, he's one of us. You also have to go wearing like old school Jeff Gordon gear, like the one where it's like the cartoon of him like pissing on the number three. Then they'll fucking hate you. They will hate I'll you. I'll do that. Get a temporary tattoo that's one of those threes with the halo over it. <laughs> <laughs> they would love you for that when you'd be mayor. Oh, we could have some good good times. Do it. Like go critique the grammar on all the shirts and the, the banners they're selling. <laughs> What's an Oxford comma? What are you talking about, boy? <laughs> Oxford what? Exactly. See? <laughs> be a good time. We'll do a live show from down there. You're really selling this. Sounds like a good time. 
So other than the confession of Vicki Hutchinson, uh, the prosecution had Jerry Driver. All Driver had to offer was that he had seen Jesse walking around with Damien and Jason sometime around November 15th, 1992, and they were all wearing long black coats and carrying staffs. Like D&D LARPing or something? (laughs) What's going on out there? Mind your own business, Jerry. Yeah, mind your business, Jerry. Do whatever the fuck we want out here. And who knows if that's even accurate because Jesse said he didn't hang out with them. Yeah, whatever. But even if it was accurate, what the fuck's wrong with LARPing? Black coat. (laughs) And they they probably weren't even staffs. They probably had sticks or something. (laughs) I don't understand. Yeah, right. Hmm. You know what Jerry Driver's nickname was? What's that? The Pile. 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 Jerry Pile Driver. (laughs) (laughs) The defense tried to bring in a guy named Warren Holmes to push back against Bill Durham's polygraph results. Holmes had worked with high-level law enforcement doing polygraphs with law enforcement like the Texas Rangers, the FBI, and including a lot of the polygraphs involved with Watergate. Holmes said that the only question Jesse lied about on his polygraph was the question about not doing drugs. However, Judge Burnett decided that Holmes's testimony wasn't really relevant, so the jury was only allowed to hear part of Holmes's planned testimony, which wasn't a lot. I thought polygraph results were not allowed to be or weren't admissible. Like, this is Arkansas, Dave. Still. This was before that was that. Was it really? Huh. Yeah. But a guy that can push back against their accuracy, his testimony is not relevant. Sure. No, the guy that worked on Watergate. And yeah, yeah. Okay. All that stuff. Okay, Judge. Jesse's defense also tried to bring an expert on false confessions, but Judge Burnett decided to pretty much block this as well based on the belief that psychology had no place in the courtroom. So again, the jury only heard part of his planned testimony. Jesus. So all the defense really had to go off of was some alibi witnesses that said Jesse was at a local professional wrestling match that night, but none of this was absolutely concrete. Until COVID, that could have been our alibi one of these nights. It's true. Or a local we wrestling had, match. We, we didn't start, kill those people. Nope. We had started going to uh, the AIW shows here in Cleveland, and damn good time. Psychola, my asshole. You're not introducing that testimony in my courtroom. <laughs> it took the jury only one day to deliberate to find Jesse guilty of first-degree murder for the murder of Michael Moore and two charges of second-degree murder for the murders of Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole, an additional 20 years for Stevie Branch and another 20 years for Christopher Byers. Wow. It's amazing. Well, after that ec- expert, uh, you know, case that the prosecution ran, yeah. and that, that flawless case, how can you not? And yeah, once you confess on, on, on tape like that, you're, you're up a, you have a steep climb if you're going to try to fight that, even though it happens all the time, apparently. As Jesse was being transferred from court to prison, he decided to confess yet again. I mean, why not one more time, right? (laughs) And again, it was a different story. I mean, who knows why he confessed again? Some people thought it was because maybe he could get a better sentence if he flipped on Damien and Jason. Some felt that that's just what he thought the police wanted to hear and it would help him out. And others who still stand by the fact that the three of them are guilty will tell you it's more along the lines of what really happened. Uh, before we get into this, we need to note there's no recording of this confession. It was just given to police on the car ride to, to prison. Was it documented upon arrival immediately? Or was it like the Bible where they documented it 100 years later? 
I think it was documented 100 years later. <laughs> well, I would imagine they were probably just tweeting it out as he said it, right? <laughs> probably. <laughs> What's it? What is it called? Uh, a thread. And it's where they just yeah. post like a, a bunch of tweets or a story in a row. That's what the kids are calling it these days. A thread. That's what I call it too, Mike. Yeah. Well, lots of people go with the threads. You're the social media guru. <laughs> I don't think that's accurate. <laughs> In this version of the story, Jesse was walking around drinking a bottle of Evan Williams that Vicki Hutchinson had bought him. And that's when he ran into Damien and Jason. The three of them went to Robin Hood Hills and kept drinking. After a while, they saw the three boys and decided to fuck around with them. They were hiding from the boys and Damien jumped out from behind a tree and grabbed Michael Moore. When Stevie Branch and Christopher Byers attacked Damien... That's when Jason and Jesse both started beating them with sticks until they were unconscious. Jesse went on to say that Damien and Jason started raping the boys. Then Jason castrated Christopher Byers with a locking knife. Jesse said that after that, he didn't expect anything like that to happen, so he left. And on his way home, he threw the bottle of Evan Williams near a highway overpass. Seems a little, I don't know, contrived. He's like, maybe, you know, they, they got me to tell that st the other story and then look what happened. So maybe if I tell him another version right. of it, they'll let me go home. I, I just, don't I don't know. Like in my mind, he just kind of took bits and pieces of real life. Like he probably did drink Evan Williams a lot and would probably mm -hmm. throw it over the, uh, the bridge. So can't say I've ever had Evan Williams whiskey. Yeah. If you drink it with a mixer, like a ginger ale, it's not bad. It's good cheap bourbon. With word of this confession, prosecutor John Fogelman went to the overpass and found the broken neck of an Evan Williams bottle. People who say that the three of them were guilty will point this out as proof positive. In my, this is just my opinion, but I would push back on that and say that finding a piece of a broken Evan Williams bottle by one of the busiest highways in the country and in Arkansas near a truck stop wouldn't be that hard to find. There's probably a bunch of broken liquor bottles out there. Yeah, exactly. More non-evidence. Did he try to introduce that? Or no, it was already after he was convicted. Yeah, it was after. I well, now they would, could just use it for the upcoming trials, though. Yeah. I mean, I would, and not just Arkansas. I mean, I would say that you could go around Ohio to different truck stops and probably find some broken liquor bottles out there. And chances are you'll find an Evan Williams one eventually. Yeah, I'm sure you will. The prosecution now wanted Jesse to testify against Damien and Jason. They had been pressing him hard, saying that if Damien and Jason got out of jail, the first person they were going to go after was Jesse's girlfriend. Just really dumb threats like that. Jesse was set to testify against them to get a reduced sentence until he talked to his former stepmother, who was basically his mom. She told him that he was raised not to lie, so he needed to tell the truth no matter what. If he lied to get out early, it would be something that he would have to live with for the rest of his life. But if he told the truth and ever did get out of jail, his name would be completely cleared and he could live an honest life. So the day before Damien and Jesse's trial, he told the prosecution he wasn't going to testify. Good for him. So right here, any normal judge would throw the, dismiss the charges, right? Because there's really nothing, you know. I think that's what happens. And then <laughs> yeah. in part four, we'll just talk about Jesse Kelly and all that. See you next week. All right. That was easy. Really, though, I mean, without that, they have nothing at all to link them to. So it's interesting. What's the beauty of making up evidence, Dave? It's yeah. It's also the yeah. beauty of leaking that, that confession. Yeah, right. Good point. We'll be right back. Is there something interfering with your happiness? Something keeping you from achieving your 2020 goals? Let's face it. These are certainly trying times. From being cooped up inside your home 
to wondering how you're going to pay next month's bills, we're all experiencing some form of stress or strain on our mental health. And for that, BetterHelp is here for us. BetterHelp is an online mental health provider that will assess your needs and match you up with your own licensed professional therapist. The best part? No waiting rooms. That's a pretty big deal if you're as impatient as I am. BetterHelp is a safe and private online environment that will have you communicating with a counselor within the first 24 hours. And once you've begun, you can send your counselor a message at any time, always getting a helpful response in a timely manner. You even have the ability to schedule weekly video or phone sessions, all from the comfort of your very own couch. BetterHelp is available worldwide and has a broad range of expertise available, including licensed professional counselors who specialize in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, anger, family conflict, LGBT matters, grief, and self-esteem. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're currently recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Not happy with your counselor? No worries. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches and makes it easy and free to change counselors if needed. Remember, everything you share with your BetterHelp counselor is completely confidential. And while it's not a crisis line, it is a convenient, professional, and affordable way to seek the help you deserve. Financial aid is even offered to those who qualify. Want to hear how BetterHelp assisted people just like you? Check out the testimonials posted daily on their site. Look, we here at Necronomapod want you to start living a happier life. So, as a listener, you'll get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com necro. Join over 1 million people already taking charge of their mental health. Again, that's betterhelp, betterhelp.com slash necro. Leading up to the trials of Damien and Jason, Judge Burnett cited the county budget as not having enough money to do two separate trials, so they would be tried together. This is absolute bullshit because, in my opinion, this is more because the prosecution had no evidence against Jason other than Jesse's confession. Jason didn't really have a record aside from some petty theft and breaking out the car windows that we talked about on part one or two. I can't remember which one it was. And Jerry Driver and Steve Jones giving him shit for being friends with Damien. This was all about guilt by association because everything the prosecution said about Damien might as well have been said about Jason. Yeah, and if the jury doesn't see him sitting right next to him there in court and they don't you know, make that connection, this kid might get off on having his own trial. I mean, he's, he's a sweet-looking kid who looks like he's 12 years old. Like, you don't look at this kid and think that he could possibly kill anyone at all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, D- Damien has his reputation. Jesse was known to fight a lot. You know, that's something that the prosecution cited against him, was that they, they called him a violent person. In all reality, you know, Jesse was what? He's like 5'4"? Yeah, he's a little dude. 5'5", five, five, and he has, you know, his, his you know learning issues. He was an easy person to pick on. Yeah, I was going to say, he probably got picked on all the time. Yeah. So he, he you know, in that environment and stuff, you know, yeah. he learned learned to fight and he had a temper on him with that kind of stuff. So, but I mean, that doesn't make you a murderer. It does not. With no testimony from Jesse, the prosecution tried multiple times to get Jason to testify against Damien. And in return, he would get 40 years in prison, but Jason refused. At one point, this was dropped down to 10 years, but Jason still refused. Wow, that's saying something. You're looking at that kind of time. Yeah. Mm. Again, good for them. Yeah. 
getting back to Jesse's confession for a second, there was absolutely no way that there would be a non-biased jury. That confession leaked out the day after Jesse confessed, and the whole town was running wild with rumors about Damien. Is Judge Burnett ruled against moving the trial to a different location, but said the confession was inadmissible. But what the fu- it doesn't even matter. Every potential juror had already heard the confession. Yeah, right. But- like the whole town had heard it. The whole right. state yeah. had heard it. It doesn't have to be in court. Like people know what was said. The plus, prosecution. Plus they, didn't they release the word of the, the, the confession from after he was um, found guilty? Like in the back of the cop car, that last one he gave? Was that, did that, how long did, after did that come out? Like the, the, you know what? I don't know when that came out in the media. I wouldn't be surprised if it didn't come out. Right. You know, those, those, pretty po- quick. those cops mm. probably came out the next day and like, oh, here's what he told us as we took him, yeah. took him off to prison. So now you have that one fresh in everyone's minds, too, on top of the fact that he was found guilty. So mm-hmm. you add all that up. Well, and then don't they usually ask you if you're familiar with this case when, you know, when they do the polling, the jury pool or what are they like? No, I don't know anything about this case. Who? Never heard of him. We just saw a hilarious clip from Curb when he wanted to get out of jury duty. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to repeat what he says, but goddamn, it's fucking hilarious. <laughs> Funniest show ever, <laughs> ever. And that's the thing about the jury stuff, like the questionnaire. It's like, it's like, do you know, do you not know anything about anything? Okay, cool. Then you you got the job. Yeah, <laughs> do right. You know nothing. Have at you all heard, about Have you been a life? hermit? <laughs> yeah. Have you been away for thirty years and you don't know anything about anything? Well, in all fairness, it's Arkansas. They didn't have TVs or anything, like, uh, right? That, well, it was only the '90s, so probably not. Yeah, they <laughs> still don't have iPhones yet. So, <laughs> they using Nokia flip phones. I think. Huh? They have to go to neighboring states just to listen to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that we have we have a we have at least one good uh, listener down in Arkansas. We do. Shout out to Jenny, one yeah. of our best listeners. She sent us a bunch yeah. of sweet Arkansas Razorback uh, swag. Didn't do yeah, any good. Some real good stuff. No, but it does hold keep my beer more or yeah, comfortable does in us my more hand. Good than yeah, the Razorbacks because they don't know how to play much football. Sweet coffee mug. Too. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. <laughs> Are they ever really like high ranked or anything? Like, are they top ten ever? I don't watch a lot of college, college football. I don't think so. Mm. Not for a long time. Sweet name though, Razorbacks is pretty badass. Well, Mike, that's because all the girls in Arkansas have to shave their backs. Well, <laughs> God damn. <laughs> oh boy. Well, that's what I heard. I I saw that somewhere. I don't. I can't confirm that or deny. You better it. hope Psycho Sid doesn't come power bomb your ass through a table. <laughs> Be in big trouble, Pally. <laughs> The prosecution didn't have a murder weapon, but then lead prosecutor John Fogelman got a hunch. And based on this hunch of Fogelman's, he had a dive team go out to search a lake behind the trailer park Jason and Damien lived in. He was so confident in this hunch that he had the news media come out for this dive. And within 30 minutes of the dive, the team came out with a large serrated combat knife. In all reality, this hunch was based on a tip, which really wasn't even a tip. Fogelman found out about a combat knife that Jason owned, and as a punishment, Jason's mom got pissed off and threw it in the lake. The only problem with this so-called tip was that Jason's mother had thrown the knife in the water a year earlier, and wouldn't you guess, her testimony was blocked from being heard by the jury. Come on! So it sounds like this was information that Fogelman might have had, like in like 
interrogations of Jason and they're like, don't you own a knife like this? And he's like, no, I used to have a knife, but my mom threw it in the water a long time ago. Mm. Like just to show like I don't have the knife. And then boom, now they're like, oh, yeah, there was a knife out there. That could be. Or did someone really call in a tip? And who the hell would that be? Maybe they just said tip because they didn't want to admit yeah, that, right. you know, it was probably that fucking who was that girl? Heidi. Vicky Hutchinson. Vicky. Yeah, it's probably fucking Vicky. Fuck you, Vicky. Again, still not evidence, though. Like, that's not evidence. It no. doesn't show anything. No. Well, you you pulled you some random knife out of some water and said, this is it. Yeah. Don't you remember from the trial, Fogelman sitting there with that knife, hitting it off a of grapefruit, showing it to the jury? Oh, yeah. Saying, look at this grapefruit. It's got the same, makes the same marks that the boys had on them. Yeah. The jury like pool in Arkansas like is like, anything. Oh, oh, boy, look at here. Look at this. That's some forensics up there. Show me more of those forensics. <laughs> We're going to burn these motherfuckers. Damien and Jason's trial began on February 22nd, 1994, and the prosecution didn't open up with the satanic angle. Instead, they hit the jury hard with how brutal the murders were and focused heavy on Dr. Frank Peretti's autopsy. Dave, you brought up last week about like the issues with some states and their qualifications for medical examiners. Uh, yes, Ian, I did raise that as a potential <laughs> issue in relation to this case. Uh, please elaborate. Uh, here it we was go. one of many issues that have been raised <laughs> about this case. In most states, the medical examiner is an independent body away from the prosecution. However, in Arkansas, the medical examiner is actually a part of the prosecution's office. So you would think that this would be a conflict of interest because things could be swayed to fit a narrative, but that's the way it is in Arkansas. You would think that, Ian. You would think that. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing about the medical examiner position in Arkansas is that it doesn't have to be board certified. The test for it is an option. Dr. Frank Peretti had failed the test twice and opted out of taking it for a third time, citing, quote, personal reasons. Oh, for fuck's sake. personal reasons being he's a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't pass it, moron. That is personal. You fucking suck. Do the prosecutors have to pass the bar in Arkansas? Is everything? No, they just have to go to one. <laughs> oh, man. When testifying about the injuries to the boys' bodies, he said that the scratch marks were caused by dragging a blade of a serrated knife down their skin in almost like a torture type way to cause more pain. He also focused a ton on the sexual abuse claims, even though there was no clear-cut evidence that any sexual abuse had happened. The only injury that looked like it could have been done with a smooth blade from a lock knife that Jesse had confessed to was the apparent castration of Christopher Byers. However, Dr. Peretti stood by the serrated combat knife as being used for all of the wounds, even though it would be next to impossible to do that to an 8-year-old that precisely with a knife that big. And mm. I mean, it's it's gruesome. But when you look at the crime scene photos of Christopher Byers, the castration is not it's not a complete castration. He's not missing everything. It's almost like his penis was skinned. Yeah. Like oh, he, man. The head was missing and it was the rest was skinned. Fuck. That's you can't do that with a knife that big. This blade, the blade on this thing was somewhere, you know, between eight and it looked about eight inches. With big serrate. What, what do you call Right, them? it's a fucking Serrates? combat knife. Yeah, combat knife, right. It's enormous. <laughs> you're not doing that to an eight-year-old. You're not skinning an eight-year-old's penis with that type of a knife. Those photos are all out there. We will not be posting them. Oh. You can find them if you want. Or I think they're in the documentary, right? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, if you've watched any of the Paradise Lost, you've seen it, all that stuff. What I, I just was going back and looking, all of our pictures from the torso murders, I believe, got flagged. Like, you can still see them, but there's a warning that you have to click first in order to view them. Oh, yeah? Yeah. We're fucking badasses like that. We're rebels. <laughs> <laughs> those scratch marks are interesting. I think they're going to come up probably next week, too. Take another look at those. Yeah, That's a teaser. An interesting twist. Mm-hmm. A certain gentleman that was in uh, the John Bonet case, Dr. Werner Spitz, will come up next week. How about that? Yeah. Forensic expert. The leading forensic expert in oh, his field. So, so clearly his testimony was thrown out. <laughs> <laughs> What's your IQ, boy? You can't testify down here. The next witness the prosecution had was a teenager named Michael Carson. Michael Carson was into heavy drug use, including acid and had been in trouble for many things, including burglary. Carson was in a juvenile facility with Jason in August of 1993 and said that during a game of spades, he asked Jason if he really committed the murders. And this is what Carson said during trial. He told me how he dismembered the kids, or I don't exactly know how many kids. He just said he dismembered them. He sucked the blood from the penis and scrotum and put the balls in his mouth. Yeah, sure he did. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Also, I'm pulling that audio clip tomorrow of Mike saying, <laughs> put the balls in his mouth. <laughs> you got to edit it, though, so it sounds like I'm saying put the balls in my mouth. So it's put the balls in, and it's your voice going, my <laughs> mouth. <laughs> put the balls in my mouth. <laughs> when asked why it took Carson around six months to come forward with this information, he testified, quote, because I saw the family on TV and saw how brokenhearted they were about their child being missing. And I've got a soft heart. I couldn't take it. <laughs> when I watch that in the documentary, when you see it, it's like, okay, pal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> Such a kind individual. Michael Carson has since recanted his testimony, saying that he was persuaded by the prosecution to testify and that it would reduce a pending burglary charge if he did. He also cites heavy drug and alcohol abuse as in a factor of... You know, why he did what he did, why he lied. More upstanding work by the prosecution mm -hmm. team. Hats off to you. The prosecution also had the woman who said that she saw Damien on the night of May 5th walking around covered in mud and the kids from the softball game. You know, we talked about in part two that Damien was trying to scare some kids at, the local, at a local softball game and said that he was the one who committed the murders and he was going to do it again. After all of this testimony and cross-examination, the prosecution started hitting the satanic stuff hard. First, they asked police who spoke with Damien early on, what type of books Damien read. A police officer that spoke with Damien testified that Damien said that he read books by Anton LaVey and Stephen King, which that officer personally found strange. Oh, because that officer then couldn't accept it, so it's it's very odd that he would do that. Yeah, hmm, strange. So everyone has to read what this officer deems is appropriate. I don't suitable. know who this Stephen King feller is. Pretty evil. <laughs> it's evil. <laughs> the stand? What's this? What's a Cujo? Satanic. <laughs> After this, the prosecution started bringing up the smart-ass answers Dave, Damien was giving during that questioning with the police that happened on Jason's front lawn. The stuff like about how the killer probably did it as a thrill kill and all that stupid shit that he was saying. The defense didn't think this should be admissible because this was essentially an interrogation that happened on the front yard of where a minor lived because Jason was 16 at the time without a lawyer or parental consent. 
However, Judge Burnett ruled that the police reports and the investigations weren't a subject of this trial. Of course he did. I don't even, what, then what is the subject of the trial? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> this this uh, hearing has nothing to do with investigations and police report <laughs> and any police work done. Man, that judge is something. Next up, the prosecution called their star witness, Dr. Dale Griffiths. Griffiths is a retired police officer who was 56 years old in 1993 and had established a second career as a full-time consultant on the occult. He claimed to have given seminars to over 38,000 police officers worldwide. First, you pick up the donut, and then you place the donut <laughs> in your mouth. <laughs> then you pick up your sixth donut. Sorry, go ahead. And then when a call comes in you don't want to take, you just turn the volume down, and then you can't hear him anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not insinuating officers do that. I sounded like you are. But they might. I don't know. You're just guessing. I mean, if I'm in the middle of a good donut, I might do the same thing. <laughs> it's false. Everyone knows I don't care for sweets. Now, if it was like a Wendy's triple. Oh, First sure. of all, I can't show up to a crime scene because I'm already going to be a mess with mayonnaise and ketchup and everything else just all over me. Like I, I would con uh, contaminate the entire crime scene. He's like, what seems to be the problem here? Yeah. <laughs> Walk up and there's just like food all over you. <laughs> I'm gonna need at least a half hour to shower and change after that Wendy's lunch break. Oh, he'd be a fine police officer, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> but I wouldn't be the worst. That's, I would not be the very, worst. Very true. I would not move Jamine's body three times. <laughs> I can tell you that much. No. Nope. Griffiths' resume stated that he had been a police officer for 26 years, but midway through, at age 37, he received a two-year college degree. He later got a master's, quote, with a term paper on police intelligence for small agencies and a doctorate, both acquired from Columbia Pacific University, which was a mail-ordered degree school that had no formal classes. <laughs> the defense was grilling him during the trial, too. And got him to admit that during this course of getting the master's degree and the PhD that he had taken no classes. Like, <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? The guy, the the attorney with the long hair for Jason fucking destroyed this guy. Oh, yeah. It's like homeschooling yourself and then granting. And then you give yourself a PhD. Oh, good job. Here's your, you're a doctor. <laughs> then you're just an expert on whatever you want yeah, to say. Right. Yeah, right. On. The state of California filed suit against Columbia Pacific for not meeting educational standards, claiming that 41% of their PhDs were granted in less than three years. Some received their PhDs in less than 12 months, and because of this, the school was closed down for fraud. <laughs> this guy's a doctor, like Mike's a true crime expert. Exactly. <laughs> Although I've at least sat in on, what, 150 shows that that's, we've done? That's true. I think I have more education than this guy does. <laughs> a lot more. <laughs> Maybe you are a doctor of true crime now. I think I have a Necronomapod PhD. <laughs> I just need to win one trivia. It's like my, that's like my, um, shit. What is it called? You're like my thesis at the end. Yeah. You have to like write and, and present. That's all I have to do is just win one trivia. And I officially have my PhD. I suspect we're never going to be granting that uh, upon you. <laughs> Might not ever. Have it. you been studying? You do have a trivia bonus show coming up next week. You're going to be uh, competing in. I've studied all the shows okay. continuously. <laughs> very, very well defined and, and. Uh, educated on the subject matter. Excellent. Glad to hear it. Griffiths received his PhD in three years while maintaining his full-time position as deputy police chief in Tiffin, Ohio, 1,500 miles away from the school's headquarters. 
Griffiths himself said he didn't need classrooms. <laughs> That's right, biased. Tiffin's like 75 miles west of here. Yeah. Yeah. Local hometown, not oh, a hero. He is not a He's hometown not a hero, hero, this guy. <laughs> Fuck you, Dale Griffiths. You might be wondering how Dale Griffiths, this guy from Tiffin, Ohio, got involved with a case down in West Memphis. I have been wondering that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because Jerry Driver called him before the murders even happened, saying he he needed some advice dealing with satanic worship going on with some kids in West Memphis. Oh, boy. So let's get into some of the transcript from Dale Griffiths from trial. Looking forward to it, Ian. Looking forward to it. This guy's a national treasure. (laughs) Yeah, he's something else. (laughs) He's something. (laughs) So Griffiths was asked to provide the distinction between occult and cults. All right, follow along, people, because this gets a little uh, interesting. <laughs> so you're, you're Dale Griffiths, right, Mike? I'm going to be reading the role of Dale Griffiths, Dave, okay. and I think Dave will identify himself probably when he's a new character. I will certainly do that. Okay. An occult group is a group that's involved in some sort of esoteric science, and they've been around prior to Christianity. A cult group usually is a group that I dealt with. Ones who are breaking a law are those who follow a particular belief style under a charismatic leader, and in and among their belief style, they do break the law. A cult may have various types of belief systems. Occult cults are belief-oriented groups. This is Fogelman. Okay, is, is torture something in your experience that's done by occult cults or... Occult cults? Occult cults. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Occult cults? Occult cults. Yes. And you laugh, but this is a fucking capital murder case. <laughs> so what what fault what Griffiths was saying is that occults O C C U L T um do engage in torture, is what he's saying. Griffiths went on to give an example of a group like this named Kratos. There is no documentation on a cult named Kratos, so I'm pretty sure Griffiths made it up or he was fed some bullshit somewhere along the line by someone like Damien trying to pull one over on him. Some books on occultism will talk about sex organs, removing the testicles for the semen, a group called Kratos. I just want to point out with that quote that, you know, I don't know. Uh, anatomy or anything like that very well but I don't think that you can just like remove someone's testicles and get semen out of them I don't think that's how that works right yeah I I, I mean I think once you're cutting it off it's not gonna work anymore (laughs) yeah like doesn't seem like a great plan like you can't just cut off someone's testicles and squeeze them like they're oranges and right get semen out like that's not how it works I don't think at least I mean, if you just cut out someone's like bladder, are you just going to be able to squeeze out all urine nonstop? <laughs> like, you know, it might can be a little bit in there and then that's going to be it. Well, your little bladder would be nothing in there. Well, it depends. <laughs> if I waited more than 10 minutes, it's full. <laughs> I just don't think those things keep producing. Right. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, probably just hinting towards using it one, you know, one thing of semen for some sort of ritual, I guess. Or he's just making this all up. Or he's just making it all up. This next quote is Griffiths' explanation as to why the boys' injuries and murders were related to Satanism and why they appeared to have more injuries on their left sides. The people who practice occultism, they will use a midline theory, drawing straight down through the body. The right-hand side is usually related to those things which is synonymous with Christianity. And the left-hand path 
is that which is practitioners of the satanic occult systems. That's not correct. <laughs> I, I'm not like Mr. Uh, like insanely knowledgeable on on magic and things like that, but I know enough to know that that, that is not accurate at all with the left-hand path and the right-hand path. Mm. Well, the guy with the fake PhD said it, Ian, so yeah. I, I don't know. I kind of believe it. <laughs> Let's get into some of Griffith's expertise in this uh, in occultism and satanic worship. Okay, this is Judge Burnett now. Okay, does the number three, three victims have any significance? One of the most powerful numbers in, in the practice of satanic belief is 666. And some believe the beast wrote a, a six as a three. <laughs> so all this time it's been three, 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 the number of the beast, and it was just wrong? Uh, he's like, satanic belief is 666. And, well, they messed up. They meant three. <laughs> this is nonsense. All right, this is Price, Damien's lawyer. Is the factor that the victims were the age of eight, is is that a factor that you considered in making your opinion? Yes. Okay, now is eight a factor because that is a witch's number? What's the significance of eight? Okay, in Crowley's, in Crowley's work, he discusses that sex before eight or you lose the magical power. Sex before eight or lose magical power. Okay, so if the victims were all eight years old, then that wouldn't be sex before eight, correct? I said eight. I'm sorry, not nine, eight or before. This is some, <laughs> this is some shit, man. I don't know. He's just saying well, words. Well, like. did I say? Did I say eight? I meant nine. <sighs> they wrote six. They meant three. I have a PhD. Unbelievable. Capital murder trial. Yeah. It's as masquerading as you know expert witness testimony. And again, remember the psychiatrists and psychologists were not allowed to be here. No, this guy was. They're barred. So here's an exact rundown of the findings from Dale Griffiths that are going to be used to turn down appeals when we get to part four next week. This rundown was even cited all the way up to the Arkansas Supreme Court. He, meaning Griffiths, testified that the date of the killings near a pagan holiday was significant, as well as the fact that there was a full moon. He stated that young children are often sought for sacrifice because, quote, the younger, the more innocent, the better the life force. He testified that there are three victims, and the number three had significance in occultism. Also, the victims were all eight years old, and eight is a witch's number. He testified that sacrifices are often done near water for baptism-type rite or just to wash the blood away. The fact that the victims were tied ankle to wrist was significant because this was done to display the genitalia, and the removal of buyer's testicles was significant because testicles are removed for the semen. He stated that the absence of blood at the scene could be significant because cult members store blood for future services in which they would drink the blood or bathe in it. So he probably just had it in his fridge at home, right? In his trailer. Yep. Big thing of blood that he drained expertly. Sure. Right. (laughs) That they never found any on the ground. No, they would have, they would have, had they been questioned, they would have provided that. They had, (laughs) they had gallons of it, but they, they they weren't asked. Okay. (laughs) He testified that the, quote, overkill or multiple cuts could reflect occult overtones. Dr. Griffiths testified that there was significance in the injuries to the left side of the victims as distinguished from the right side. People who practice occultism will use the middle line theory, drawing straight down the body. The right side is related to those things synonymous with Christianity, while the left side is that of the practitioners of the satanic occult. He testified that the clear place on the bank could be consistent with a ceremony. 
In sum, Dr. Griffiths testified there was significant evidence of satanic ritual killings. Excuse me. In sum, <laughs> Mr. Griffiths testified there was significant evidence of satanic <laughs> ritual killings. Motherfucker, not a doctor. Man, this fucking piece of shit's the one, or one that belongs in jail. But, like, all those points that I just read, that's copied and pasted from a summary that it was presented to rule against any appeals in this case. And wow. that was even presented in the Supreme Court, Arkansas Supreme Court. Jeez. Like, that wasn't something I just wrote myself. That's actual yeah. points that are provided. How terrifying that. is that? Yeah. What can be, you know, used as evidence in a, in a legitimate court in this country? Whiskey, beer, tequila, more beer, more vodka, more whiskey, and more beer. That's the beer sound. Mike was pouring at the keg when we came back out of uh, commercial break. Yeah, got topped off, fresh, good to go. (laughs) He's making a bunch of racket over it. Oh, sorry. Now you're making a bunch of racket talking over (laughs) here. Oh, by the way, I just want to mention that uh, Dr. Griffiths died last year in February. Oh, did he? If that makes anyone feel better. Aw. <laughs> well, I know in the the newest documentary that the one that doesn't have anything to do with Paradise Lost, the West of Memphis one, he's in that. Did you watch that, Dave? I've not seen that one, no. You should watch that one before next week. It's That's good. the one that Peter Jackson did, like, right? Yeah. Okay. Peter Jackson is in, like, the famous better. movie director? Yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah, dude. He gave, what did he give? Like, $10 million to the defense? Wow. If it wasn't for Peter Jackson and some of the celebrities we get into next week, this would not be, they would all probably be still sit, <clears throat> still sitting on, in jail. Wow. Um, for some reason, Damien's lawyers thought it would be a good idea to have him get on the stand and testify. I mean, I think this goes without saying, but people in this town fucking hated Damien. And no matter what, this wasn't going to go over well. And you can still tell, you know, in the documentary, he's not really taking it seriously. It's, you know, he's sitting in the in the courtroom and during a recess or something, like holding a, a mirror up and doing his hair. Like it's really weird how he's behaving. He's a frustrating individual when it comes yeah. to some of this, because you know, again, now I'm just thinking like Jason's also kind of on the line here, and and you're kind of fucking it all up for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I know filmmakers can make you know you're only seeing what they want you to see, but still. Well, but he also said what he has said, you right. know, and right. played games. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll talk about it next week more, but there's there's some bias issues with the Paradise Lost filmmakers with some of their stuff. I think that's probably right, yeah. Portray some things. Um I don't know, but for part I know for part two I used the clip of Damien talking about how, you know, when you think you're a teenager, you uh you think you're invincible. And that clip was after three years of sitting on death row and his whole demeanor is different. Like you, in that amount of time, he realizes that he fucked up big time. Yeah. Probably recognized the second day he was there, you know? Yeah. And I don't think he, I don't think it, it didn't matter what he did. He was done for as soon as the, I agree. Before this trial even started. It didn't sure, matter how sure. he acted. Yeah, I agree. He just didn't do himself any favors. We didn't talk about it yet, but Damien's girlfriend, Dominique, was pregnant through all of this, and she gave birth right before the trial. The filmmakers of Paradise Lost set it up to where Damien could hold his son before court in a very public way to like show that he was good with kids. 
but this backfired real fucking bad. Like the reaction from everyone was like, like get that baby away from that that murderer. And Damn. the sad thing about it was is that's the first time he ever held his baby. Yeah. But you can see the faces on people in the court. Like what the f- like why are they letting that monster mm-hmm. touch that baby? Not good. The prosecution pulled out that notebook full of straight up goth kid poetry that was titled The Book of Shadows. And that had the pentagram and upside down crosses on it. They had Damien read quotes from it on the stand and answer to what they were. And it was just a bunch of Metallica lyrics, Shakespeare quotes that Damien liked, and his own poetry. Shakes who? What? <laughs> well, that's the thing is like when you watch the trial footage, they're like, they pull out a quote and they like read it like, oh, it's this fucking evil thing. Like, what's this mean, Damien? He's like, that's a Shakespeare quote. Yeah, that's from Hamlet, fuckface. You know? Yeah. <laughs> they also pulled out a cipher that Damien made in jail out of boredom. It didn't say anything, but to make it, he used his name, Dominique's name, and Aleister Crowley's name. This gave the prosecution an excuse to circle back around to bring up Aleister Crowley. They asked Damien if he had ever read any Crowley books, and instead of just saying no, he said that the only reason he hadn't is because he wasn't able to find any. Which isn't surprisable. Surprising and surprisable. I'm making up words now. Well, you're, you're just doing too much Arkansas. <laughs> well, that ain't surprisable. <laughs> That's surprising that you can't find an Aleister Crowley book in the local library in West Memphis. What's a library? <laughs> But I, I mean, yeah, he probably should have just said no. Yeah. You know, but I, I don't even, like I said before, I, he was going to be found guilty no matter what. But, you know, it would have been better to just say no. But I, it didn't even sound like he was saying this in a smart ass way. He was just well, that, genuinely answering it like, yeah, I would have if I could have found it like I was interested in it. I think that just goes back to maybe not getting properly coached by your attorneys. Right. Like what do they always say? You ask, you answer exactly what you're asked. Nothing more, nothing mm-hmm. less. Yeah. So if they ask you a yes or no question, you answer yes or no. You don't give them anything else to go off of. And also, he shouldn't have been on the fucking stand to begin with. Probably not, especially given that that cockiness kind of. Yeah. And what's crazy is like this whole time we you know we talked about Jesse's trial and we've been talking about Damien a ton. We haven't even we've barely even mentioned Jason at all regarding this and all this satanic activity stuff. This is a direct quote from John Fogelman tying Jason to the satanic worship. It is my understanding that part of the involvement deals with obsession with heavy metal music and forms of dress wearing all black. And I believe the proof would show that he had 15 black T-shirts with the heavy metal thing. And he had some kind of animal, either claws or teeth. I think they said they were claws. I don't know, 15 black shirts, that's pretty damning. (laughs) Guilty. I mean, come on. I draw the limit at about 13. You can have 13 black shirts. After that, you start worshiping Satan. (laughs) What was his other quote, Ian? He said something like, now there's nothing wrong with wearing black by itself. There's nothing wrong with heavy metal by itself. But when you put them together or something like that, something ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. He said, you know, I actually wanted to pull that quote and use it in this outline, but it didn't make sense to do it without reading a fuck tongue. Cause it's from his closing arguments. Yeah. And right after that bit, he uses that to go into all this weird hearsay shit about Damien. And you should use some of that for the intro to the show. Like in the, yeah, I'll see if I can find it. Just at least the part about the 15 black shirts. I just, that's fucking ridiculous. But How? can you imagine standing in front of a jury telling that 
and I believe the proof would show that he had 15 black t-shirts <laughs> right. with the heavy metal thing. Well, and I just picture when he says that all the jurors gasp. They're like, oh, 15? No. What? 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 Well, he did it. <laughs> well, and they even introduced some Metallica posters that the Jason and Damien both had Metallica posters on the walls in their bedroom. And they introduced those as evidence of like satanic worship. It's, it's almost unimaginable. I don't... I, it does seem unreal. It just seems like we're reading yeah. a bad plot to a movie. Yeah, yeah and that's a, this is the only time Metallica's ever licensed their music for anything was for Paradise Lost because of this. <laughs> yeah, those guys that made the movie are the ones that did their some kind of monster movie, Metallica. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, that was like the trade-off yeah. or part of it. Well, they gave them like two songs, though. Yeah, it was they the same song much. over and over. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, all right, I'm over Metallica. I actually, this fucking might be a hot Metallica. take for, for people, but I fucking hate Metallica. <laughs> well, I just, they're like, they're, they're douchebags. legit one of the worst bands. Just, they're one of the worst bands ever, in my opinion. Wow. That's that's a that is a bold statement. That's pretty bold. I'm, actually, I'm not a huge Metallica fan. I just think they're douchebags. Like, they take themselves way too seriously. Mm. Kind of like, like Gene Simmons does with Kiss. Yeah. Like, I'll throw them on that same thing. Like, just come on. I mean, you know, I don't want, I understand you don't want people stealing your music, but you don't need to be going after oh, the kids na- Napster just stuff. fucking trying to listen to your music. Yeah. I was a big Metallica fan way back, but when they were good, I mean, before the, the 90s. <laughs> I, I don't know enough Metallica to be able to like discuss their discography. Or, yeah. You know, the original stuff. Was it their Black Album was good, right? Wasn't that, no. That's, that's the only one I ever listened to. Like anything before that. When, when did that come out? 91. I don't like their speed heavy stuff. Oh, the good stuff. No, it just sounds like a fucking garbage disposal. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, I don't love that. Oh, boy. I mean, I like fat. Like, no, I'm fast. not saying I don't like that metal. fast metal music. I just don't like Metallica's stuff. Yeah, that's right. yeah I mean, just that's just my personal opinion is I would put Metallica right in with the, the disdain I have for listening to like country music. I would put Metallica right in there. Wow. God damn. <laughs> I, I don't like them. I don't foresee us having a lot of Metallica fan listeners. Like maybe a few, but like hmm. I feel like if, if we have metal heads, they're, they're going to be into metal, not Metallica, right? I mean, Metallica's metal. I mean, they I think they were, and then it just became more oh, like. Well, yeah, back then. They were one of the founders. Like in my mind, Metallica's in the same category now with like the ACDCs and like the Motley Crues. Like they're just like a, a rock hard rock band right like more or less just because things have evolved so much though i met james and lars one time after a show they're pretty cool were they wearing black t-shirts i think they probably were well lock them up (laughs) i I don't know (laughs) did they charge you for shaking their hand or something probably (laughs) they did not lars probably did (laughs) yeah lars and gene simmons both have fucking hard-ons for making every dime they can (laughs) metallica fits in with me with like uh like the Beatles, like I get it, I get what they did for music, and they're like founders in certain things, but I just don't like them. Yeah, I like the Beatles. I get down with the like Beatles. The Beatles, I like the Beatles either. No, nah, we're learning a lot about Ian musically tonight. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Mm. Okay. I don't got time for that shit. <laughs> I dig the Beatles. Yeah, me too. Like I get what they did for me. It's the same thing with um. You hate Rolling Stones too, and. Yeah, I don't like the Rolling Stones. It's the same for Nirvana, too. Like, I get it. There's a couple songs I like, but overall, I don't really like Nirvana either. I, I used to hate Nirvana. I grew up, like, the more I listen to them, I like them. I don't love them, but I like them. The end. Interesting. Nirvana or Pearl Jam, Dave? 
Or is there another like grunge that That's you would That's a tough one. Put? I saw Pearl Jam at Peabody's downtown Cleveland when before anyone knew who they were, like yeah. two, 200 people. Oh, that was, was awesome. Yeah. I go with Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam is one of those bands where I don't realize how many hits they have. And then yeah. you hear it and you're like, oh, fuck, that's Pearl Jam. Oh, fuck, that's Pearl Jam. So I think I would have to agree. I would take them as well. I like those guys from way back. Or is there a better grunge band that you like that maybe is not one of those two? Jeez, I don't know. I thought about grunge in forever. I mean, Soundgarden was probably better. Oh, that's true. Okay. That's this week's grunge talk. We'll Alice see you next week. Those guys were good. Oh, I do like Allison. That yeah, might be my favorite of the four. As you were, Ian. <laughs> Now that we Listen found out he hates music, <laughs> fucking shit on Rolling Stones, Beatles, Metallica. Yeah, I think he shit on Mozart and Beethoven earlier. <laughs> Probably Fuck those guys. Yeah, hates them all. I accept it, and then you know, and then when I talk about my musical, what I really like, and then I say Kanye West is the best artist that's ever existed. <laughs> people like side eye me. It's all right. We're doing we're doing it right now. <laughs> that's a ridiculous statement. <laughs> Maybe not the best musician of all time, but the best music musician of this generation. He doesn't even play an instrument, does he? <laughs> can, can he even be called a musician? He's he an artist. He, be, be. he could be a, a performing artist. And even then, he's still not as good as Lady Gaga. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Next week, we're going to talk a lot about the evidence of Mark Byers and claims that are made with him with the second Paradise Lost and stuff. But he's involved in the second, in Damien and, and Jason's trial. So I think this is probably a good point to bring up Mark Byers in kind of his be- behavior during during these documentary, at least the first Paradise Lost. I mean, it's hard to, to say how you would act if this happened to you. So he was Christopher's stepfather, but it, it's some pretty bizarre behavior. He plays it up to the camera where it seems... Your, your initial reaction would think that he's putting on a show. Yeah. You know, he's got the gun out there and he's sitting there shooting the pumpkin. Like and naming him, that's you, Damien. And, you yeah. know, fires off around and hits the pumpkin. I hope that hurt or whatever. Oh, boy. Yeah it's, yeah, it's pretty intense. And then, you know, he does that whole thing in the beginning where he's he's out in the woods where the crime scene happened and... He's talking about how he's going to piss on their graves and stuff. and How they had homosexual orgies out here, all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he was oh just off the rails. I think it's just a big religious kook they kind of framed it at the beginning. And in some, in some aspects of that, and we're going to talk about it next week too, but in some aspects it's people that would be more liberal would look at him like look at this this bible belt guy look at you know he he's of course he's someone that could do something like this he's a nut you know yeah look at the way he's talking and stuff but then on the same flip side of it conservative people look at damien they're like look at him and they're wearing black and all this satan shit of course he's capable of killing someone so i don't know and i i don't like you said dave who knows how you grieve you know yeah the first time I watched Paradise Lost way back in the day, I was real thrown off by Mark Byers. And I was real thrown off by um, his wife, Melissa, w- after Jesse got sentenced. And one thing she specifically said was uh, how she was going to send a dress to Jesse in prison. Yeah, right. And it was, it's really like, oh, that that's not a good look. But then when I watched it again, I watched it again last night. I watched it last month. I watched it again last night. I was thinking, I'm like, man, I don't, I don't, who knows how you would act, you know, after something like yeah, that. Yeah, you have no idea. You can't. It's a brutal murder of your yeah. child. 
and I, I don't know. It's like, hard to put yourself in that perspective and, and understand, like, you know, who knows what the fuck our minds would be doing if something like that horribly happened. Yeah, like, you might, like, I don't know. Like, there's been some situations in life where I've had a bad temper with stuff. You know, we like the dog incident when that dog came after That's right. my kids. <laughs> I lost my temper. Like, <laughs> I mean, who's to say you don't, you wouldn't say some dumb shit that you regret. I do that all the time. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Pretty sure this this whole show is based upon us saying some dumb shit <laughs> that you might regret later. The copious in amounts of alcohol. There's a reason why I don't listen to our shows back because I don't want to regret what I said or why we don't do them live. Yeah, well, yeah, people ask for that. They like, want like a live camera. Nope. nope. No, they'd also be extremely bored with like all the times we stop and I got to go piss or like fill up our cups. Like it's not as entertaining as you think, people. <laughs> Next time we're all together recording, because I know we still do this a little bit remotely, um, but next time we're all together recording, maybe we'll do like an Instagram live or something or one of those Facebook lives or, yeah, sure, you know, whatever the kids are doing these days, yeah. we'll do it. We'll do a chat snap or something. <laughs> chat chat snap. Snap. Yeah. One of those chat snaps <laughs> on the tweeters. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. In my opinion, like looking back at or, or watching that all again. I don't. I actually don't fault Mark Byers for anything that he said or did in the documentaries. I mean, who knows how you would act? And next week we're going to get into issues that he had in life, and I don't know you throw all that stuff on top of it. So yeah, I, mean, I, I, I agree. And with a wealth of footage, you're able to edit a film, you know, in many different ways to kind of lead the audience towards what you want them to see. So yeah, who knows I mean, what you didn't say? He's way off the fucking rails, though. Yeah. Dude, we were just talking. Didn't he have a? Go ahead. I would say, didn't he have a brain tumor at the time too? Yeah, and that's what we'll. You know, they they specifically talk about that shit in in the second one that we'll talk about next week. But yeah, he had a he had a brain tumor. They like they low key or or offhandedly bring up all the medications he's on. He's on two heavy antipsychotics. Uh, some antidepressants and stuff and they they offhandedly bring those up like it could make him a violent person which we've said that multiple times on this show that just because you have mental illness does not make mean you're a violent person sure so, you know statistically you know that's not as accurate as people think so i don't know they really the paradise lost people really fucking throw him under the bus hard based on really nothing I think Other they were trying to create reasonable weirdo. doubts, you know, because they were yeah. clearly on the kid's side. And also in in Paradise, uh, in Paradise Lost One, he's like low key. He's a really good singer. <laughs> he's got that <laughs> real deep voice. <laughs> Swing <in> low. <laughs> yeah, when he started singing the first time I watched it, I was like, God damn, he's actually like a really good singer. Yeah. <laughs> and because we've talked about it enough now, where can people watch Paradise Lost if they want to? It's on HBO Max. HBO Max. Yeah, I I signed up for uh, because well I think it's well documented that I illegally download almost everything, <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't enough people sharing it, so I I signed up for a free trial of HBO Max through Amazon. They had like oh, a, okay, there you go. They had like a fourteen day free trial, so I just signed up for that and then canceled it. There you go. Also, I don't know that you should be saying things like that. Uh. <laughs> I was lying about that. I don't. I don't steal movies. <laughs> That's since that last notice from the federal government. <laughs> yeah, what was that for? That was for. Uh, it's when you passed out or fell asleep or something, right? And you you were just downloading all night. 
Yeah, I got one for that, and then I got one uh, back in the end of March of 2020. I got one for is that Invisible Man? What what the fuck's that movie called? Yeah, Invisible Man. Yeah, I got a letter for that one. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, we were in a pandemic. You were, you know, quarantined. What are you supposed to do? Just trying to watch some damn movies. I didn't like that movie. <laughs> I saw people rated it pretty high on their horror movies for last year. I'm like, I don't know what you watched, but I didn't think it was very good. Yeah, it was all right. So eventually through Paradise Lost 1, Mark Byers gives or Mark Byers gave HBO, one of the cameramen, a, uh, a knife as a gift. So Douglas Cooper, a cameraman for HBO, was wrapping up. And just as the film crew was headed to New York to break for Christmas, Cooper was given a knife from Mark Byers as a gift. In New York, after seeing what might have been blood on the knife, Cooper took it to the directors of the documentary, who, after talking with HBO lawyers, sent it to West Memphis police. It arrived on January 8th, 1994, and was logged into evidence. It was then sent to Genetic Designs Laboratories to determine whether the blood was human, and if so, whether the blood could be linked to any of the victims. So, interesting development here. Yeah. The blood was found to have the same type as Christopher Byers, described in the genetic analysis letter as shared by 9.2% of the population. Blood samples from Mark and Melissa Byers and Melissa's 14-year-old son, Ryan, were then sent to genetic designs to determine whether they could be, could be a possible source of the blood on the knife. The next day, January 27th, genetic designs released its analysis, including the members of the Byers household. The blood on the knife not only matched Chris Byers' type, it matched Mark Byers. Remember, they're not related. So during the trial, Val Price, who is Damien's lawyer, questioned Mark Byers about the knife. All right. Well, the place that the... Where did you all keep the knife in your house? When I first received the knife, which was for a previous Christmas, uh, for a few weeks it was in the living room on a little end table by my recliner. And then after that, it was put in my bedroom on the dresser. When he was referring to that of why would this knife have any blood on it, I was under the assumption that he was talking about Christopher's blood on it, which, like I said, I didn't have any idea. He didn't ask me, was there any way that any other type of blood or its substance could have been on there? Because just a paragraph or two up before that, I told him where I was trying to cut the venison with it. On the top of page eight, do you recall being asked the question? I have no idea, no idea how it could have any human blood on it. You recall giving that answer? Yes, sir. And then it's inaudible from Gitchell. And then do you recall stating, quote, I don't even remember nicking myself with it, cutting the deer meat or anything? Is that the answer you gave? Yes, sir. And is that the truth? I, at the time when he was questioning me, I didn't, re I mean, I might not have remembered. Okay. I might not have remembered. Yeah, it's, you know, it's a weird interview. It's a weird Gitchell. thing to do. Yeah. yeah. It's a weird thing to give them in life like that in the first place. But like we said, Mark Byers is a weird fucking guy. There's no getting around that. Um, the interview he gave with Gitchell regarding this knife before, you know, he was questioning trial and stuff. He does give an answer where he says, I don't remember doing anything with it. And then there is inaudible stuff on the tape. And then, you know, it comes back into it. So, I mean, who knows? We know that Gitchell and then we're doing shady fucking shit with with Jesse with playing that hidden tape of one of, of Vic, Vicky Hutchinson's son mm -hmm. making it seem like it was a ghost and shit. I mean it opens up a little bit of plausible reasonable doubt. Does it not? 
Uh, yeah, to say the least. And, and I forget what their closing arguments and whatnot, but they were trying to steer it towards that, right, Ian? That he was, it was possible that he did it? Yeah, and that knife is more, that knife would have been along the lines of what Jesse claimed the type of knife it was used. It was like a smooth blade. Yeah, some folks call it a, I call it a lock blade. Some folks call it a regular blade. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, but they really tried to steer it in this direction. And, you know, when they, Damien, when he's being taken away and stuff, they, the reporters ask him, you know, who killed, if you didn't kill the boys, who did? And he said, go ask Mark Byers or something along those lines. Yeah, right. It's also a dumb question because if you didn't do it, you don't fucking know who did. Yeah, I have nothing to do so like, with this. Like, How do I know? Yeah. Me, me even having an answer would then, you yeah, know, right. put guilt on me. After both sides gave their closing arguments, it took the jury a little less than five hours to find Damien and Jason both guilty of first-degree murder. Then on March 18, 1994, it took the jury less than 20 minutes to recommend that Jason spend the rest of his life in prison without the possibility of parole, and Damien would be sentenced to death via lethal injection. And that is where we will pick back up on part four. It's, uh, so. it's crazy with uh, really no evidence. At all, in my opinion. Would this be a 19-hour episode if we did <laughs> this in three parts? That's crazy. I know. And that's the thing. This case is so huge, and there's so many books written about it. There's so many different angles. It, you, you could spend for. I mean, you could, we could do 10 parts on this case if yeah. we wanted to. Oh, sure. And there probably would be still more that we didn't, didn't touch. It's a huge case. Can you imagine the blue balls that Dave and I would have if we did 10 parts on this waiting for Casey Anthony to do next? <laughs> I mean, come on, man. You can't do that to us. More time to get her in studio. have not heard from her yet. <laughs> she needs to hear our show first. Re- yeah, reach out. She needs to understand that we're on her side in the matter. If you're friends with Casey, pass this along to her and her investigative services. Yeah, that's right. We got something she can investigate. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe she can tell me where the clit is. <laughs> investigate that together. (laughs) (laughs) So in part four, we'll we'll officially wrap this all up and we'll talk about the sequel to Paradise Lost, you know, why people think that Mark Byers is guilty, all the appeals that the West Memphis Three make, new evidence that led to a new suspect, and the uh the outcome of this whole story. It's quite a fucking story, man. Sorry. Yeah, and and I and we'll we'll also hit some stuff as to why people think that they are uh, that they're guilty. I want to we'll hit on some. I'd like of that to look into that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would. I would absolutely want to hear that because I don't see it at all. All right, Ian. We got uh, anything else for this one for part three? Anything else you want to add to the uh, the trials? Uh, no, no. That's a. Um, I will say that I was more realistic with my schedule that I threw out the other night. <laughs> and that Casey Anthony will be two parts. <laughs> so everybody can have that to look forward to. Two weeks of her. Nice. Soon. I mean, I'm excited about A lot that. of fapping going on in the audience right about now. After <laughs> Thanks, now. Guys and girls, both. It's <laughs> unanimously agreed upon that no matter what you think of her or the crime, that she is a, the, one of the sexiest individuals that has ever lived. I- I agree with that. She's on the Mount Rushmore of smoke shows. (laughs) So many chicks are going to be so pissed at us for that. Those broads. I mean, broads. (laughs) What's worse, chicks or broads? 
I think I would, broads. Broad. Look at that broad. Like I don't. Is chicks demeaning? I don't know. It is. I won't use is it. Is it kind of demeaning? Oh, it's, it's, like, it's like dudes. Like dudes and chicks. Dudes and chicks. That's how I see it. Yeah, broad's broad, like an old time. Like, yeah, old timey. Now Look it's here, see? Yeah. It was from a day and age where like you talk down to them. Like yeah. the good old yeah. days, some people call it. Look here, you broad. Bring you, bring me a dame and shut your <laughs> pie hole. See now, dame. I think's all right though. Like that's a classy word, dame. Yeah, like if you call someone a dame, like she's all right. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, Dave, you got anything else for this one? Trials? No. No. You looking forward to next week? Settling this all? I am. Yeah. This is a it's a shitty story. Yeah. It's terrifying, quite frankly, that this can happen. Yeah, I don't disagree. And the way the fucking judge just ran this thing. And then, well, you know, you can't what he says goes like, yeah. that's it. It's awful. Yeah, we're going to see next week with, you know, when we wrap this up, you know, the judge's motivations behind some of this and some of the appeals because he's got to run to be a senator. So, oh, the judge does. Name. Yeah, he can't Ooh. have his name tarnished at all because mm-hmm. he's got to be a senator. Yeah, he's got to be a hard ass. I don't know what happens with him running for senator. I hope he loses. We'll find out next week. I mean, most people probably already know, but I don't. (laughs) (laughs) I won't. It's a good point, Mike. No. Um, All right. Well, bear with me, people. We have a ton of new patrons, and I like to think it was because just a couple days ago, the debut episode of Bible Babble with your pal Dave dropped at the $10 tier. That's me. Yeah. How'd it go? <laughs> it was good. It was good. Yeah. I was a little nervous because I didn't, you know. It's a lot of pressure. I never planned on doing a show by myself. It was weird sitting in here and not, you know, having any no one to bounce call and response right. type things going on. But yeah. Hey, we're here when you need us. Yeah, yeah. It was all right. I mean, and we're in the middle of a pandemic and we had all these people giving their hard earned $10 a month to hear you. Well, it's a lot of pressure to put on yourself. There's a lot more benefits at the $10 level. They're not doing it for extra thing. They're not doing in. it for early releases. I don't know. I think they are early ad free. Might we throw in there? It's the best deal in town. Ten dollars tier. You also get a sticker. Oh yeah, get to vote on bonus shows, and you get to vote on one of the bonus shows a month. Get this them early. Week, this week or uh, this month, they chose the Waverly Hills Sanitarium. So that will be next week's bonus show. That will be uh, this past week's bonus show. That's true. I guess what day is this coming out? <laughs> Fuck our schedules. <laughs> the- <laughs> Well, that was this week. It this was week. this week. I mean, it came out yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. If you're listening to this on Sunday, it came out yesterday. That's right. If you're a $10 patron, it's still yet to come out because you're listening to this early and ad free. Uh, $5 still gets you three bonus shows a month and uh, access to the Discord. And then for a dollar, you still get a shout out. Mm. So I think we're going to be talking about uh, Ash Wednesday during our Bible Babel discussions in February. Makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All right. Um, so we do have a bunch of patrons to shout out. Um, very much appreciative. Uh, first, I had a few corrections from my drunk ass last week. Uh, a shout out to Julie, not Julia. Apparently, I called her Julia. So I'm just making up letters at the end of her name. <laughs> so shout out to Julie. I apologize. And you saw that E is an A. You're all, I guess so. I was, you know, I'm reading doubles. the fucking reading this thing with one eye closed because I'm seeing double and triple and, you know, blinded by Miller Lite. And then a shout out to Sierra Santana. Uh, I butchered the fuck out of her name and called her Ciara. And so I just decided that was a thing. But anyways, uh, Sierra and I bonded on Discord over uh, ACDC the other night. Um, So shout out to her. I fucked up her name. Uh, New ones. Thank you very much to Hannah Walden, Jen Arnold, 
Dean Jackson, Jacob Brantley, Heidi Dean, Jessica Brooks, Deanna Nielsen, Vishal Vashisht, I apologize if I messed that one up, The True Crow King, Whitney Birnbaum, Megan Marr, Tiffany Fallow, Tim, Shannon Barrientes, MJV, Nellie Cruxon, Natalie, Teresa Schur, Kristen, Tabitha Martin, Marisa May Mattis, Teeny Oliva, Ol- Olivas, Mabel Evelyn Clark, Bianca Boyer, Ashley Justin, Gino Enrique, Courtney Christie, Susie, Michelle Lee, Kim Gilbert, Jess Nauman, Lori Freelich, Gisela Tenney, Catherine Winton, Know Your Role, Nicola Duffy, Clayton Lubin, Matt Barrick, Eliza Wells, Christina Schober, Kristen. Is that a second Kristen on here? Maybe she joined twice. Maybe it's two different Kristens. Either way. Danielle Saldana, Tony Cade, Miss R, Jessica DePriest, Emily H, Whitney Anzaldua, and Poor Man's Pam Ann. Thank you very much. We are at patreon.com slash Necronomapod. I think 10% of those pronunciations were probably wrong. You'll hear about them next week. (laughs) Hey, reach out. I'll make them right. (laughs) Ian, you got any shout outs? For iTunes, I have one for Zenkey22. Ricardo Green and Whitney Anteldua. Thank you guys for the awesome reviews. And Whitney, if Ian and I both fucked up your name, let us know and we'll both make it up next week. Dave, what do you got? Uh, sadly, nothing in bad review corner because these have been some Mother very, fuck. very nice reviews lately. I, I, one I saw the other day, my favorite one this year, it's titled Goes Hard Like MJ at a Kid's Birthday Party. <laughs> Followed by an excellent review. Yeah, it was a good review. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like God damn, pal. <laughs> I love it. Well, all right. We are on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, at Necronomapod, Amazon.com slash Necronomapod, or Amazon.com search for Necronomapod, and you'll find all of our clothing merch. We also have Amazon.com, where we have stickers and koozies available. And uh, what else? I think that's it. I say patreon.com slash Necronomapod. We'll say that one again. But anyways, we're on the socials. We got we're on Amazon for our merch. Just remember, Amazon is the only official seller of our merch. So if you see another uh, seller, it is not official. It's not ours. They are stealing from us. So don't purchase from them. And uh, only official Necronomapod shirts come with Mike Seaman baked into the, the clothing. Upon request. <laughs> yeah. Upon request. <laughs> <laughs> So, oh yeah, thank you very much. We'll be back next week. All right, you guys ready for a cool down beer? Cheers.